uh, ironradio.org listeners. This is Lonnie Lowry. I am an exercise physiologist, and I'm a sports nutritionist. Hi, folks. It's Rob Fortress Fortney, former editor at Muscle Mag International, former competitive bodybuilder and powerlifter. Um, this is Phil Stevens from uh, Staley Training Systems. I'm a competitive uh, powerlifter and coach, again, with Staley Training Systems. And something happened to Charles here. He got booted off. He's, he's telling me on IM here. So um, for now, here we're going to have Dan John today. I'm kind of uh, winging this here until Charles gets back on. Dan, thanks for joining us. Hey, I'm glad to do it. Happy to be here. And uh, you're in the classic uh, scene you were talking about just moments ago, uh, Walmart parking lot. And uh... yeah, in Franklin, <laughs> in Franklin, North Carolina. So if anybody's you know in Franklin, North Carolina right now and wants to see me, yeah, I'm standing here because it's the only reception I've had in like three days. So <laughs> nice, nice. Um, just a second. Um, anyways, Charles is having problems here. What we're going to talk about today, then, uh, we'll start off, and you got a new book out, Dan, right? Yeah, I do. It's called Never Let Go, and uh, I tell you, it's kind of nice. Uh, uh, Laurie Draper warned me that one day I would open up a box and uh, a book with my name on it, my and my thoughts would be on it, and, and it would stop me in my tracks, and it certainly did. It. Uh, I'm very proud of it. It's uh, it's. Some people say it's just a compilation, but it's really a lot more than that. It's a it's a whole bunch of stuff. It's about uh, and for those of you who read my work, it's often about weightlifting, but just as often it's about living life. And this book is kind of dedicated to that kind of you know that combination of things. You know where I, I use I use my my sports career as a way to live my life. You know every lesson I've learned in sport. Uh, certainly has has propelled me in life, you know. And certainly, it's integrity and you know, be, you know, and backing up what you say about things. And uh, yeah. I don't know. So yeah, I'm I'm real well, happy. I'm very proud of it. Yeah, very much so. I mean, even like you said, it's a compilation oh, of kind of the older stuff. Building. But I mean, it's it's you bring a new twist to a lot of them, and and, and also in in time. I mean, there's a lot of people that sadly you probably haven't heard some of your stuff. Yeah, I got and them. then we got some talking in the background there. I don't know who's but uh but you know Phil it it amazes me how often I will get an email about a week after they read the book and go you know I I <laughs> I've heard your name but I never read your stuff and it's like well how could you not I mean yeah. you you put you put all that stuff out there but you know it's we're we are living with the internet in a period of noise yeah. and that's a political science term where you know, they always say that uh, FDR knew the J- Japanese were going to attack. Yeah. Well, I guarantee he had that memo on his desk every morning for oh, five yeah. years. It's called noise, and we're living in a time right now where there's so much information, so much noise that, you know, I'm just glad people are starting to hear, you know, a quieter voice again. Exactly. And, I mean, what I was getting at, too, is, I mean, it's nice. I mean, I've read, I hope I've read everything you've written, but it's nice to have it all in one place. Because you you kind of forget that stuff, and you need to come back, and it's nice to have that a place you can boil it all down to. And, sure. Uh, and it's funny on my uh, on my computer, I have a thing called Book Four, which most people don't know about, but it's a collection of articles I wrote for, uh, and it's uh, seven hundred pages now oh, wow. uh, for uh, a, a news a newspaper column. Uh, so yeah, even though you've read everything, there's there's that mere seven hundred pages you got to catch up to. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I, I I do write a lot, and sometimes I actually even uh, I think write intelligently. Yes. Well, Charles yes. is on here, so I'm going to let him. He had a whole segment set up for you, so he's ready to roll. <laughs> I'm sorry, right, guys. 
I apologize. I uh, I just uh, kind of got booted for some reason and had a hard time getting back on. So, uh, uh, Dan, it's so awesome to have you with us. It's good to be back again. It's been a long time since I've talked to you. It's been a long time. Got to yeah. go way back with Dan and uh, too, too many too many stories. But uh, I know you guys have been talking about never let go. And uh, man, I was, it's, it's so funny. You could just randomly go to any page of this book and do the whole interview on that page. But uh, uh, I like page 79, which is the classic top 10 tips. All right, let's go. You know what? I uh, It's funny because uh, every so often I write a top 10 list, and it's amazing because it always changes. You know, <laughs> For example, if someone would say tomorrow, Dan, uh, give us that workshop on the top 10 things that are important in weightlifting, I, I think the order would change, but I think the message would be the same. But there'd be some, you know, it's kind of funny how things uh, rise and fall a little bit. There's a flux to it, I think. You know, there are universal truths, but but the 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 I guess the context uh, is gradually shifting. So uh, sometimes right. you need different language or different metaphors or different parallels. But uh, so I'm so in, in light of that, I'm not going to start with number one. I'm going to start with number seven. I, I think you should have them ordered differently. <laughs> but anyway, number seven is keep it simple. Less is more, and uh, and that fits in so well t- with our topic today, which which is paralysis by analysis. So so talk to us about keeping things simple. Well, you know, oh, there's so many there's so many hundreds of things that just jumped into my head. So let me <laughs> simplify it as best I can. Uh it's it's one of those things, you know, I'm very proud of the way I teach the discus throw. You know, I have these four uh, well, it's five terms. One is stretch, one is spanky, and and then one, two, three. And I can coach an elite athlete at the collegiate level, a senior, on the telephone telling me he's having a bad day by simply using one of those five terms. Yeah. And that's when you know you have – that's, I think, when you understand a, a, a system. But if you don't mind, you, you, there's two sides to this. And I think I think I mentioned this to somebody le- recently uh, also. But one of the things that I think people miss, uh, Charles, is I have a background in coaching football and a background in coaching individual sports. So when you coach individual sports like the snatch or the clean and jerk or the discus, it happens so quickly. You have to right. keep things simplified. Anybody who starts talking about the triple extension in the Olympic list, I always kind of I go along with it and I'll smile and I'll nod my head in agreement. But at the same time, you can't teach someone to do triple extension with over 300 pounds. You just can't do it. You, you can't. You don't have time for a conscious thought when you're pulling any kind of serious weight. And but the other thing is, I've also coached football. So now with football. I have 11 sophomore high school boys on the field at one time. I probably have a team of 55 kids. With one or two words, I've got 25 seconds to organize 11 15-year-olds all in the same place at once. Now, you go ahead if you want to make that complex. But if I say red-right in some systems, if I say ace-rip in other systems, if I say double-wing in other systems, if I just say go in some systems, all 11 athletes know what to do. And then if I say 23 dive or 56 blast or rip go, they know what to do or middle stretch right. And the idea is when you work as a coach, I think the longer you coach, the more you begin to appreciate that if you want to get things done, you've got to cut, 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 and simplify down so that one word means to the athlete. Now, I believe... Now, I believe that the human body is complex. 
as comp. That's why I hate the bathtub model of calories in, calories out. I hate the bathtub model. It doesn't work in economics, and it certainly doesn't work in human physiology. But if that's the model we're going to work with, I'm fine with that. I have no problem with that. Like the low, the person who hates low carb diets, and they say, "Well, the reason low carb diets work is because they're low calorie." Oh, you just said low cal- uh, carb diets work, right? Well, yeah. <laughs> do do we care about <laughs> about why? now we're mis- yeah, now we're going to work with why. Okay, you said, okay, if you want to believe in the bathtub model, we'll believe in it. I don't have a problem. So when I say, uh, Charles, less is more as I speak 17,000 words explaining it, what, what it comes down to is this ability as a coach and as an athlete to push away all the nonsense and find out what is core. You know, I've, I've said this, and I'll say this one more time. If for whatever reason you were allowed only three 15-minute workouts a week, what would you do? And whatever you answer me with that question is what you should be doing. That is the bulk, what that is the most important thing you do in your training. If you say, Dan, you know, I want to do, I'm I'm on a a serious fat loss program. And I'd say, okay, you only have three 15-minute sessions a week. Well, I I can almost guarantee you're going to throw a Tabata workout in there, right? Or or something that is Tabata, maybe by another name, but you're going to do something Tabata-like anyway. Yeah, exactly. What you're going to do, you're not, you're certainly not going to do joint mobility. If you're on a, if you only get three 15 minute workouts a week, you're not going to do joint mobility. I mean, maybe you will if you're on a hyper strict, I, I don't know, but you follow my point. However you answer that question is the answer. And now why is that all important? Well, it's because if it's the answer in three 15 minute workouts a week, why aren't you doing that all the time? And when you come to that beautiful realization, then you start making progress as a coach, a competitor, and as an athlete. So just answer the question. Just answer that 15-minute-a-week question, and then from there, you'll find out what's important to you. I love it. So for you powerlifters out there, you know, that means uh, uh, deadlift, squat, bench. You know, for Olympic lifters, it means snatch and clean and jerk and uh, – you know, and a point I wanted to make too is interesting is these 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 cues that you're using with your athletes um, are external cues, but whether the cue is external or internal, that one word or that single phrase cue becomes a symbol for a concept, right? Oh, absolutely. <clears throat> and again, see, I think the mistake individual coaches make is they don't spend time in team sports. Uh, I think you'd make yourself a better, uh, let's say, figure skating coach if he's coached ice hockey for two years. Because you'd learn to organize practice better. You know, you always hear from figure skaters, well, we need three hours of ice time. You know, so, you know, daddy has to work 17 jobs. Or, you know, (laughs) get with the hockey coach that's got 100 kids on the ice at once. You know, I'm I'm just saying, you know, team sports force you force you as the coach. And by the way, if you're if you, if one of our listeners is is, you know, some guy who trains at home, you are your head coach. Pay attention to what I'm you know. Yeah. Uh yeah, absolutely. When the the, the 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 more and more crazy things are, the more and more focused you have to be as a coach. Love that. Love that. Okay, so now here's some more simple advice and I'm going to combine uh tip number 8 and tum- uh, and tip number 9. And it's never I, been done I, before. Be careful. I know, and uh, uh, I think we're going to be okay, though. But So tip eight is you have to put the bar over your head, and tip nine is put the bar on the floor and pick it up a bunch of different ways. 
Um, and, and, and so this is, you know, uh, your, your newsletter is called Get Up, uh, I know, which has multiple meanings. And, uh, you know, uh, your newest book is Never Let Go. And I think you have a DVD called Carried Away. And that all kind of feeds into this. But that is the essence of productive movement in a weight room, huh? Well, it is. And, you know, uh, years ago I made a statement on a website like, if all you did was clean and press, you'd be in pretty good shape, you know. And I think what happens, Charles, is that uh, we get so addicted to, uh, you know, all the groovy stuff, all this, you know, really, you know, you know. And I do too, man. I, I do too. You know, if, you know, split-legged overhead squats with one foot on a BOSU ball, I mean, I love that stuff. I don't know what it does for you, but I just look at it and that, that seems right to me. Yeah, because look how fun it is, you know. Yeah. You know, but uh, it's... It, but really, I tell you, you know, it's like the funny thing about these guys with the kettlebells, you know, Pavel's new book is really, it, let me summarize the book for you. Take two kettlebells, pick them up, push them over your head. Thank you very much. And it's a brilliant <laughs> program. It's a brilliant <laughs> program. You want to build hypertrophy, do a lot of reps with uh, 253 or 270 pound, pound kettlebells. Mm. It's, you know, the, the system is pretty simple. If you want to get stronger, that's how we do it. And... Uh, it, it's funny when you say get up. You know the, the you know the mission is to teach people to pick things up off the ground, put them over their head, or carry them. Yeah. And uh, we come away sometimes, and it's like it can't be that simple. Oh yeah, okay, okay, dear listeners. Uh, after I after you listen to this, go get two eighty-five pound dumbbells and walk with them for ten minutes, as far away as you can, far away as you can, and then then just bring them back. Now that's that's such an easy workout. That's only gonna take twenty minutes of your time. All everyone everyone who's listening is so advanced as might have no problem at all. So that'll be your warm up for the day, right? Yeah. yeah. Call me when you're done with that workout. <laughs> Call me when you bring those dumbbells back. Your grip is gone, your traps are gone. So really, if you want dangerously hard workouts, you know, Simplify it, you know. I tell you one thing: a max deadlift will fry you for days. Fry you for days, if, you, if not weeks. Yeah, I mean, it, it, you will you will have problems typing a couple days after a max deadlift, a serious max, 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 max deadlift. Yeah. You know. Yeah, but yeah, 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 I think it's funny. I, I was surprised to hear you combine those two points. It was it was shocking. Uh, uh, we'll have to write a new book now. Well, I think, you know, what I've done is um, I've helped you to uh, si to simplify uh, by uh, kind of combining your ten tips down to nine. You see, now see now we have nine tips. See, now yeah. see, this is... Give your run for one more. Yeah, now, we, now I have to spend the next next 30 years of my life finding a new one. Well, yeah, you know I'm what, gonna, though? Yeah. Let me just add this. You know, it, for the, there's nothing new under the sun. You know, I had to go... Uh, it's just... This is a funny little side story. I won't bore you too long with it, but uh, um, I, uh, I'm here in North Carolina, and I had to get Wi-Fi to get the information to call you. And so the place was next to a little bookstore. So I'm walking around this bookstore, and I find this little book on tumbling and how to teach tumbling in high school, which I just purchased. It, the date of it is 1938. It's mm. in pristine condition because probably no one's opened up the tumbler's manual since this book was written. Sure. But it's funny because I spend a lot of time with my athletes teaching them tumbling because many of them have had 100 club coaches 
but not one of the coaches who gets paid $1,200 a month per athlete has ever taken the time to teach the kids how to fall down on the ground. And yeah. so it's not like I'm – please, never think I'm, you know, I, I am certainly uh, – all I'm doing is I'm, using, I'm, I'm a prophet in the old sense. I'm just telling people what I see, you know. Yeah. And one of the things I see, that Charles, is that, you know, you, there's – I mean, I can go to any gym in America, and most of the guys, most men will go through an entire workout with never once picking any kind of weight up off the floor. They'll go to machines. They'll use all kinds of racks are fine. There's nothing wrong with machines. There's nothing wrong with racks. But if all they had in their backyard, if they, you know, if they got fired and all they had was a, you know, a couple of stones in the backyard, they could get in fabulous shape, picking up and shouldering an 80-pound rock and pressing it. <laughs> Very good shape doing that. No so again, I, I just wanted to say that I, I am simply, I am just. Uh, I, I am just a teller of tales. I'm not a. I'm, I'm not an innovator in any way. You know what, Dan? If I can interject, you know one of the things that I think it's cool when I listen to Dan talk is you're a hell of a scientist, actually, because that's what science is, right? It's observe and write it down. And I think the most clever breakthroughs in history have been guys that did just that. They observed and they wrote it down, like what you just said about guys in the gym doing anything but just lifting a weight off the floor. You know. That is an amazing Thanks. comment, yeah. Yeah, and, and it's funny. If if if, if somebody wants a Ph.D., uh, it, it'd be very easy to do. I mean, just go to any spa in America and just call everybody subject A, subject B, subject, you know. In, in three hours, you'd have enough information for your, for your dissertation and just observe how much actual work most people do. And it's not yeah. very much. You know, I tell you, I tell people this all the time. You know, when they come to my gym, you know, my gym, you know, the MILF, the Murray Institute, to train, uh, just putting the equipment in the back, you know, moving it from where it is to the backyard is more workout than most people do in a normal day. <laughs> just carrying the stuff out, you know. Oh, so, good. so what's the workout today? Oh, we're going to move all this stuff over here. Good. And then one. Well, we're going to put it away. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> it's the... Uh, Equipment moving protocol type B. So there, there's your next article. Somebody that is, that is so good. I used, I used to have a friend who uh, his, uh, his he this was out in Santa Barbara, Dan, and his warm up. He was a very uh, kind of unusual guy, but uh, his warm up would be that he would come into the gym and he would straighten out the whole gym. He'd put all the plates away and organize them and everything. That was his warm up. You know. So uh, hey, kind of, as somebody, kind of a, who, I have a huge gym at school. I mean, seriously, you cleaned up our facility, yeah, it would take you a good 20, 25 minutes. And it, you would move a lot of iron, especially, you know, uh, when people don't clean up after themselves. Well, that's well, that's for, not a perfect idea. Yeah, for those people who are, who are not that familiar with Dan and, and, uh, or for some of the younger guys here, I just want to make it clear. And, and what Dan's bio might not make uh, really clear is that even though Dan is basically – uh, what are you a couple of years away from AARP status? But uh, but Dan, I've been in the weight room with Dan. I've been on the track with Dan, and Dan's a guy who can bust you up. Uh, you know, at what what are you fifty two now? Fifty one, fifty two. Yeah. So, yeah. You know, so Dan is more than a scientist and a teller of tales. You know, Dan is a guy who can do stuff that 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 you all can't do, uh, even though you're twenty twenty five years old. So. Uh, you know, you're listening to somebody with, with you know, 35, 40 years of, of really practical experience. So uh, so listen up. Um, yeah. Tip number six, Dan, go heavy, go hard. 
Are, aren't and they, are, are part three, go home. <laughs> okay, but so is heavy and hard, are they different things or is it the same thing? Well, you know, I just wrote an article for T Nation and I quoted Vince, Vince Garanda. His, he, he says that famous line, it's not high reps that work. It's not high reps that work. It's, it's, it's not high reps that work. It's not heavy weights yeah. that work. It's high reps with heavy weights that work. Yeah. And go heavy and go hard. You know, it's, you know, a lot of my articles, a lot of my work is talking about going hard. And uh, the, the, hard, the hard thing, the difficult thing for especially these guys who are 22 is, you know, it, for those guys who ever wrestled in high school or, or played a real serious uh, sport or were Marines or something like that, they understand it. They, they understand it. The problem is you would get these guys, you know, and they'll, you know, now, you know, uh, this new thing, I'm an elite fitness Really? Why? Well, I do the Olympic list. Well, what do you what do you snatch? Eighty five pounds. <laughs> okay, mm. you're a male who just bragged to me that you snatch eighty five pounds. <laughs> okay, no, okay, I'm being as nice as I can here because you know I'm a good person. But shut, you not do that. You cannot brag about that lift. You are weaker than my female sophomores. My daughter, you know, I famously deadlifted three hundred this year. She was homecoming queen. Mm. Okay, so. My point is, unless you deadlift 300 pounds, you are not as strong as our school's homecoming plane. Okay? <laughs> so just get used to that idea. So when I tell people go hard, there's this idea that just, be, well, damn, I sweat it. Well, you know what? You can sweat. I'm here in North Carolina. You can sweat walking up a hill. Okay? <laughs> Sweating means nothing. Breathing hard means nothing. I mean, I remember growing up, there was a very lovely girl in the class, in my uh, geometry class, which is why I'm not good at math. I breathed heavy the whole year and didn't get any stronger. So my point to you is this. There is this image that somehow there's this little, oh, man, I'm just, I put it out there today. You know, I, I went on letter C on the Omni Pearl machine, and I just went for it, man. I just went for it. I went till I really felt a lot of blood in my arms. Okay, none of that makes any sense. And it is hard to get across what hard means. You know, for me, it, you know, for me, okay, I'm on the other extreme. I always joke that, you know, surgery is God's way of telling me to slow down. And uh, <laughs> I, mean, I, I get that. I, I'm on the other extreme. I, I certainly feel that, you know, you've got you to gotta put it to the wall. You know, you really got to, you, you, you know, you've got to put a weight on there. When you look up in the mirror, you see your spotter's faces are afraid. That's when you know you're doing a big squat. Is when your oh, spotters like are you, your spotters are afraid. That's when you know you have enough weight. You know you have enough weight in the deadlift is when you pull it for about eight or nine seconds and nothing happens, and then it comes <laughs> off the ground. I'm with you know, if you hand. get it up to your knees and then turn to me, drop it, and say, "While you have it in your hand, say it's too heavy," and drop it, and that's not a heavy enough deadlift. <laughs> if you can talk to me while you're deadlifting, you're not deadlifting heaviness. You know. Oh. It, it, if if, if 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 you can move your legs three, four, five times in a bench press, that's not heavy enough bench press, okay? If you can wiggle under the bar, that's not heavy enough, okay? If you don't blow at least one blood vessel in one eye a year, you truly aren't going heavy enough. Right on. Yep. Well, Phil will love to hear you say that because he has one eye right now that's pure red. Uh, God so, bless uh, you. See, that's, that makes <laughs> me proud. You know and I mean? You know, like I did the RKC thing, which was one of the hardest things I've ever done. And, you know, when you finish the RKC, you, you know what hard work is. You know, for, for three days, you have swung a kettlebell every 10 minutes for three days. 
you know, your hands are absolutely jello. I mean, they look like jello. And, and, your, and my brother Gary, he saw me on the last day, the last thing. He said, you look terrible. <laughs> That's hard training, okay? Now, the upside of hard training is when you decide to play with that hard training, that's when you get all these, that's when all those wonderful things happen to you. That's yeah. when you get the hypertrophy, the fat loss. That's when you win. That's when you have victory. That's when all these things you talk about happen. But it's, it's a hard thing to get across, you know. Uh, you know, you're, you're, you and your buddies are screaming the 135 back squat. It's all you, bro. Uh, it's not hard. <laughs> You know, okay, see, now you got me ranting, so I'm stopping right there, okay. No, it's good, man, it's good. I mean, it's it's, it's, it's so true, and, uh, uh, oh, my God, where do you even start? I always say people, Dan, it's like, it's not, it's it's kind of, fitness is not the result of, 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 of how it feels, it's the result of what you do, you know. Right, right. It doesn't matter how, what you did felt, it matters what you did. Yeah. That's not bad. Yeah, but did, yeah. And the nice thing is when you when you start to get into the mindset that I try to get my people into is that you can really build on this now, you know, is that you, you, you can kind of, uh, 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 you can measure things much more accurately in the future, if that makes any sense at all, is you can say, okay, this, on this day, on Monday, two weeks ago, we had a really, really hard workout. Today's a, today's a medium day. And they'll go, oh yeah, that that's it. I'm not, you know, I'm not. I can, I, I'll be able to walk tomorrow. Yeah, I'll be able to walk tomorrow. We're just moving through things, and I think that's another thing. It's in the book somewhere about. I have this theory about workouts coming kind of like fives: one one pretty good workout, one horrible workout, and three normal days. Yeah. And I think a problem a lot of people have is they're under this impression that every workout should be a, a scene from Pumping Iron. You know, every workout should have you vomiting or, you know, and these guys that take their pictures of their sweat stains on the, on the ground and put them on the internet. No one cares. You know what? You can go, go, go jump in a, a steam room for 20 minutes. You, you'll leave a much better sweat stain. Yeah, you know, but it doesn't, it doesn't, it just means you have a sweat stain. And yeah, so I, I, long, I, I yeah, go, go ahead. ahead. I'm sorry. We've got a little lag here. Go ahead. Well, the thing, the thing is that I think it's okay to have hard workouts, but at the same time, the same breath, it's also okay to have reasonable workouts too. But the the problem is this, if you never really, really go hard, you can never understand what a reasonable training program is. And I think that's what a lot of people start to miss, is this idea that, yeah, there's a time to go hard, but that opens up the door for days where you just work on technical issues, or days where you you go in and just do joint mobility or days where you just go in and work that little issue, that little kink having your giddy up, you know? Yep, yep, yep. But if you all you do for training is mobility work and kink work, you, you've missed the point too. I agree. And, and Dan, when you just said that, it, it reminded me of, I don't know where I got this from you, but one of the, one of the best things I ever heard you say was when you were talking about the idea of doing punch clock workouts. Yeah. You know, that, that's one of the most valuable concepts I think that I've learned from you is that, you know, sometimes it's about putting in the work. And uh, you know what? The, it, the PRs are not there every day, but, you know, first and foremost, put the work in. Yeah, you know, and that's a very good point. You know, if it, one of the things I've been doing the last couple of months is I write my workout in my diary before I go work out. 
And very often it'll be, listen, okay, for example, I do this little thing with uh, with presses where I do a set of two, a set of three, a set of five, and a set of ten with the same weight. And I, and I, and I try to do, say, that's 20 reps. And if you do that three times, that's 60 reps. And um, especially do that when I'm really busy, like during track season and stuff. So uh, I, there are times where I just go two, three, five, ten, three times, <clears throat> and this or that or this or that. And, you know, the amount of mental effort it takes me to do double kettlebell presses with the freeze, two, three, five, ten for 60 reps, there's almost no mental effort. I mean, I, I mean, there's not one part of that workout where it's hard for me. I mean, yeah, it is, okay. I mean, the last reps are tough. You know what I'm saying. But there's not sure. one part of that workout where I'm screaming, you know, it's all you, it's all you. <laughs> yeah. I'm just doing the reps. Now, why, why is that a big deal? Well, you do, you do two of those a week in one normal workout, three of those a week and two other workouts. Over time, that builds up. And what it also it just it gives you this nice platform to well to, to springboard from a, a, a diving platform to really take off from. But if you're constantly constantly thinking thinking that every single workout has to be outrageous, then you re, I think you also miss the point. So you right. see, there's two extremes here. I'm kind of talking about the punch the clock workout is the idea that it's okay sometimes to go to the gym and just be on automatic pilot. But you also need to have those times you go to the gym and you're not sure. There's a little, you know, you know, I'm going to give you these two, these two dumbbells and you've got to walk from here to the bridge. And you look up and the bridge is a lot farther than you thought it would be. And you start to do it and about halfway there your whole mindset is, I can't do it. Three quarters of the way, you're not sure. But for some reason you make it, you push yourself through those last 50 paces you're you're better in the future than you are now, but you need Love both it. sides of it. You yeah. need both sides of it. Uh, now, the, now of course, the million dollar question is 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 what is what's the recipe? You know, and and the recipe uh, is is now that now now we're talking about gourmets and uh, you know cookbooks. You know, <laughs> I think I I like to think of myself as a bit of a gourmet. I can work with anything you give me, including your genetic makeup. Now. I know a lot of people listening want the cookbook answer. And the cookbook answer is 3.7.4% of workouts uh, should be top end, uh, 27.74. By the way, you know you know that 72% of statistics are just made up on the spot, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, so, yeah, I don't, I'm not sure exactly the recipe. But the funny thing is if you kind of keep it in a balance of one workout of five, pretty good. One workout of five, it's okay to be lousy. Three workouts are probably punch the clockish. That's a pretty good standard. Yep, yep, yep. Uh, of those twenty workouts in a hundred that are pretty pretty good workouts, three, four, or five of them are going to be just outstanding, just shocking. And one workout will be hard to ever match again. I just summarized the year for you. Good stuff. Hey, well, well, I, I think the great point is, you know, you say you kind of write down your workouts, and it's. It's that you can't really plan. You can try and plan those great ones, but, I mean, they're kind of no. found on the fly. <laughs> you know, it's those days you walk in and I'm there. You know, I'm in the zone, and it's those days you can mentally – I almost feel it's more mentally that you're you're there than you are physically. I mean, there's well, not every day you can walk in and be mentally just in that zone and ready to – I'm going to move some heavy stuff. 
Well, see, and I also know my personality profile. I can't have one of those super workouts alone. Uh, my dip record was when a one of our high school PE coaches, I was walking by the weight room, and she said to me, will you show the girls how to do a dip? Well, you know, basically I quadrupled my normal dip numbers because there was a group of adolescent females cheering me on. <laughs> so, you know, my all my lifts are competition. All my maxes are competition lifts yeah. because I need the social and competitive dimension to go all the way. I, but I know that about myself. Now, you might have somebody who's a bit more uh, introverted who may have their best workout on a mountaintop by themselves one day in a beautiful moment of uh, insight. That That's not the way I – that doesn't necessarily work for me. Yeah, but I, mean, I, I applaud people who are that way. Exactly. I, I mean, think that kind of brings know, up the whole deal of having – I'm a firm believer in having meat PRs and gym PRs because they're different for everybody, and sometimes they're worse and sometimes they're better. Yeah, you know. my mine are staggeringly bad. Yeah. My, okay, my my workout performance. Yeah, you know, in fact, it's kind of a secret. I haven't. Everybody who's ever seen me compete knows this one, but uh, I generally, you know, I generally warm up like in the discus in the one thirties, one forties, and then my competition throws like last year, one eighties, and I have this ability to just ramp it up, and so I know that I have the volume switch. I can just crank up. I know that about me. That isn't true for everybody. Now, listen, don't forget. I mean, I've been competing since 1967. As I always say for reference, my wife was born in 68. So, you know, I mean, I've been competing. You know, I've been competing. This is my 42nd year of competition. So, I mean, I know things about myself. I know terribly awful things about myself. But I know some, you know, I know some other things. I, I, I know how to dance a little bit. And, uh, you know, with this kind of thing. So one of the things I'd recommend for your listeners is to 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 do, you know, some of those weird little uh, personality assessments that you sometimes see. They're in Reader's Digest or Seventeen Magazine or whatever. It doesn't matter, you know. <laughs> they're, they're all they're all good. And just to get kind of a bit of an insight into, uh, you know, what what makes you tick. You know, not so much what makes uh, Charles tick or Phil tick or Dan tick. What makes you tick? And it might be something you might discover, you know, when you go back over your journals is that you're the most, uh, maybe maybe you are a gym lifter. If you are a gym lifter only, you probably don't want to compete, you know. Yep, yep. But you, you, you follow my point, I think. You know, I Definitely. think you really need to know thyself, you know, and it's very important. Well, if you're just joining us late, we're talking with Dan John, and we're talking about his book, Never Let Go, and you can learn more about Dan at uh, www danjohn.org and I'm afraid if we don't get to our topic of the week right now we we may never get to it so Phil you want to ramp it up for us yeah I can get that rolling Okay, topic of the week is paralysis by analysis, and uh, I think this is just a great topic for our guest here. And um, I wrote an article a couple of months ago called uh, Daniel like this. If you didn't see the article, it was called Occam's Barbell. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. The, simple, the simplest answer is the correct answer, huh? Yeah, 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 yeah. But uh, in, in that article, um, I was kind of thinking. I was I was kind of talking about the uh, the carpenter's motto, which is. Uh, uh, 
measure twice, cut once. Um, and, and it got it got it got me thinking about how um, a lot of novices and maybe even not so novice people uh, get all charged up about developing some new 12-week program for themselves, and uh, they treat that program kind of like it's a piece of wood. You know, it's kind of like you get into your second workout and. Uh, Either your shoulder's bugging you a little bit or you couldn't get the piece of equipment you wanted or you had a sudden realization that maybe you should be doing something different. And and and, and then all of a sudden you're paralyzed because your 12-week program is now slightly imperfect and now you feel the, the need to kind of uh, create a new 12-week program. And uh, I, I think that's interesting in the context of paralysis by analysis. Do you find that, do you find that Dan, that people are kind of that way? Like they don't have the... You know, like what matters is what you do right now, and, and it's really hard to forecast. I have a real problem with periodization. Oh, in the, for, yeah. in the forecasting, in the forecasting meaning of the word, because you you don't know, man. You don't know where you're going to be in five weeks from now. So, do you think there needs to be more of an emphasis on on getting some quality work done today, and then we'll take it oh. we'll take it step two next well, time? You know? Uh, you know, I have that little form at DaveGraper.com. And constantly, in fact, it's kind of almost a joke now, uh, that uh, people say, uh, what do you think about this program? And I always say, try it for two weeks and get back to me. The number of times I've got an email that said, I tried it for two weeks and this worked and this didn't, I, I would say out of 100, maybe two people have done the two-week experiment as they stated and stuck with it. The failure rate on two-week programs is 98%. God only knows what 12-week programs are. Yeah, yeah. And, 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 you're you know, and you're right. And so what happens is if I'm challenging you to, to do what you say you're going to do for two weeks, two, and because you can't. Every time you go into the gym, everything, and you just said it right, my shoulder hurts, this is weird. You know, I have all my own equipment. I have my old gym. I mean, I have everything possibly imagine for facilities, and I can't always guarantee this. You know, That's maybe right. halfway through the workout, I get a phone call. My daughter has a flat tire on the freeway. That changes the workout, yeah. you know, and then that's just normal stuff. You know, if I can yeah, just, absolutely. if I can interject on that too, it not only is it injuries and daily stuff, but people have impatience about results. You know, the body, t it takes days or weeks, depending on what you're dealing with, to adapt. It doesn't just happen. So giving yourself even two weeks is beyond bare minimal, you know, to actually say, okay, I can make an assessment at this point. This works or this doesn't work. And yet if people aren't even willing to give two weeks, I mean, how can they expect noticeable changes in, you know, strength or muscle mass or body fat or whatever? I, I think a lot of people, they just don't understand the biology of change like that. Well, I got to bless you. Can I, can I just say, okay, uh, okay, here, I first heard about the kettlebell swing. What about 2001? Does that sound about right? Okay. That's probably about right. This year, eight years later, is the first time I think I have a handle on correctly teaching the kettlebell swing. I would argue the swing on paper is the simplest exercise there is, right? It took me eight years. Now, I have a background in, in lifting. This isn't my first day at the, at the beach. It took me eight years to figure out why what that girl was doing wrong so I could instantly fix it. 
I could, okay, swings hurt my back, swings hurt my back, swings hurt my back. What you're doing is not swings. Well, what am I doing wrong? It took me till this year to fix that. Eight yeah, yeah. years of swings, eight years of the simplest exercise there is in strength. In I, I think the, the take-home message there, though, is one that uh, it didn't stop you from keep trying. <laughs> and that's ah, the problem. People, people... Instead of trying, they, they keep searching for perfection in their plan and in their execution first. They change, though. They, yeah, they keep changing. Like, like they, they don't even start until you have a perfect plan. I mean, I was talking about this on Facebook today with Nia Shanks, and it was like, you know, stop. You know, she made the comment of, you know, if you're carrying excess fat, then, then stop harboring about it and just do something. You can do something. I like what Lonnie said because, you know, if you were going to, suddenly decide that you were going to learn Italian or learn how to invest your money or uh, whatever, you expect there's a learning curve and you have a certain amount of patience that, hey, man, I just have to work my way through the learning curve. But for some reason, when it comes to training, uh, there's this sort of expectation that that you shouldn't have to go through a learning curve. Yeah, and dieting too. Yeah. Oh, yeah, dialing in. Dieting is... You know, I mean, every time I go away from low, cur- uh, low carb, I'm wrong. Every time. But I, I keep doing it. You know, because what do you what do you, Dan, a, what do you mean by that? What do you mean that when you when you deviate from low carb, it just, it just never works for you? Is that what you mean? Yeah, I do this thing called yeah. get fat. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, a, yeah. It's, a, it's a system I work on called getting fat. But it's just funny. I mean, it's like I know, I know, I. It, it, but. It, dialing in any of this stuff, and I love your analogy about foreign languages. I mean, okay, you and I and every, all of our readers, uh, listeners say, we're going to all take the Rosetta Stone and we're going to learn uh, German. We would yeah. all probably start with the very first, you know, day, right? Yeah. And we, we would be, okay. and some people would try to knock it through in three weeks and maybe do it eight hours a day and God bless them. You know, but we all would assume it's going to take some time. Sure. And yet, God, you teach, you know, people come, can I learn the Olympic list from you? And it's like, sure. Well, they want to come for a 45-minute lesson. Yeah. <laughs> I was thinking four years, you know, I was thinking. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like martial arts to me. Imagine in, in a lot of martial arts, you have to train for six years before you're a probationary black belt. So before you're technically a beginner, you put in six years working and reworking and reworking a technique. How that patience is so different from kind of this ADD we have in the states, you know? Well, but see, but see, in the martial arts, you you can't go to the gym next to, to it and 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 get a thousand dollar black belt, right? Mm. You can't be certified as an Aikido expert, you know? Dan John's Aikido certification, right? I guess I could. There you go. I'm gonna start doing that. I'm gonna I start think it's giving, a good idea. For 12 hours, you come to me on a weekend, and you're certified as an Aikido expert. Okay, there, there's my moneymaker. Uh, okay, but well, you guys, let's check this out, though. Dan, you, you mentioned Rosetta Stone, okay? I wonder what you guys think about this, and uh, I wonder if we, can, if we can give beginners who have paralysis by analysis, if we can have a little more sympathy. If you were to decide suddenly you want to learn German, you might do Rosetta Stone, or you might get a German teacher, or you might, who knows what, but... There's not going to be a lot of variance. Um, you know what I mean? In other words, the, the teaching method may vary, but generally speaking, um, 
you know, you're not going to get somebody saying that, uh, you know, heavy weights are for strength and high reps are for tone or, you know, uh, or, 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 or you should train to failure or not tra- train to failure. And I think in the fitness industry, I wonder if, 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 if your learning curve is really severely hampered by the, the wide divergence of information out there and, and the, the contradictory nature of the widely available information, you know? Use your German example. Uh, could you imagine going to a one-day certification and, uh, on speaking German? Okay, you go for six hours, you pay a thousand bucks. I give you a certificate that says you're fluent in German, right? Right. Will you be able to instantly test it in the real world? You walk sure up would. to some German guy and say, you know, hello, I speak German. Right. Guten Abend, and the guy will start talking to you. If you don't understand him, you're not fluent. That's right. But in weightlifting, you can be certified by God in 45 minutes. You can be certified to be an Olympic lifting coach now. Yeah. So that's true. Well, I mean, to the same tune, you're not going to see, you know, infomercials that claim you can, you know, get results in 30 minutes three times a day with with a, a language disc that you store under your bed. Yeah. <laughs> 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 And I've never seen a language learning course that promises you that you could watch TV while you're taking the lesson either. Yeah. So yeah. Well, see, you, I mean, my, my, yeah. Totally. It's 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 the opposite almost. It, it, that's empty mind. It's a uh, it's a Zen. Yeah. The Zen martial approach. Uh, you know. You know what I'm saying? Empty yeah, yeah, mind yeah, yeah. TV watching. Oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> I'm with you. But and, and it also makes me wonder too if. Um, I wonder, as a as an industry, you know, I just sometimes think, and I was saying this to Phil the other day, that I just think as an industry, we're doing such a bad job at getting reasonable information out there to people, and uh, uh, you know, the, the mythology, the mythologies that people labor under today are the same as they were 30 years ago, uh, except now there's more of them, and I just think the industry as a whole is just doing such a terrible job, and. Lonnie, you probably feel the same way about the nutrition industry. I mean, it, I, I think the average person today is 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 just as far from the mark, if not further from the mark, than they were like 30 years ago. It's just you, you sometimes wonder when when is it going to ever take hold, and w- when are people going to get this? And uh, it, it's frustrating. Well, I think I you know what when it comes to the diet industry and all these gurus, one of the problems is these contradictory kinds of systems and myths and stuff crop up is that just like people have different personalities, like Dan said, you know, they have different genetics for, uh, you know, nutri- nutrition, you know, nutrigenetics, nutrigenomics. People respond to diets differently. But the problem is that you get these gurus who they have to exaggerate sort of a reader hook or exaggerate why their system is better. Otherwise, it doesn't stand out. So they make these exaggerations. And and meanwhile, people like me, I don't really, you know, I'm more along the lines of the way Dan explained that kettlebell book, which, you know, take the weight and lift it over your head. Well, you know, I would write a very brief book, too. It'd be like, you know, eat more lean meats and fruits and vegetables. The end. Yeah. You know, that's boring, I guess. And that's not much of a proprietary system, I suppose. But it's it's a it's a message of sense and an ocean of these kind of you know myths that float around and confuse the hell out of people. Then you go back and can you really blame it on, I guess, us as the industry? I mean, going back to Dan's book, you know, and talking about you know much of it is is writings that have been out there, but sadly, 
so many people haven't seen it. I mean, to what ask the, to, to how much of that can we lay on our shoulders as fault? That you know, because he's put those articles out there, numerous avenues, and you know, you can't force feed it on people. You know, they have to be open to listen to it and and, and find reason for themselves as well. I I have one last thing I want to ask all you guys since you're here because um, you know I'm 40 and I'm starting to appreciate age more and more as I get older, and I want to just tap the uh, AARP group. <laughs> But, oh, God. By the way, I am a member of the AARP. Thank you very much. I have a card. I, I have respect for it. I, my, my, question, my question is this. You know, you talk about simplicity and, you know, not falling into analysis paralysis, but is there an element that you guys can get away with that more because you've come full circle? Uh, I'm not saying that, ba you know, basic truths uh, are true even for a beginner, but I, I just want you guys, can you reflect on that? I mean, Coming full circle, you guys have learned so much. Charles, you and, and, and uh, Dan and, and all of us, after all this writing and all this, you know, diving into the complexities of different things, people tend to come full circle. Is, is that yeah. necessary? Do you need a coach to, to help you do that? I think you need coaches somehow. I mean, I, I, you know, Bruce Lee had this famous saying that he stole from some Buddhist uh, – verse, which is, uh, you know, b before I learned the arts, a punch was just a punch and a kick was just a kick. And then once I studied the arts, a punch was no longer just a punch and a kick was no longer uh, just a kick. But now that I understand the arts, a punch is just a punch, a kick is just a kick. And I think that's so true in training. Um, I, you know, you start off uh, just going in and, and, and doing some bench presses and some curls and a workout is just a workout and you work hard and you make some progress. And then you start learning stuff, and uh, I think sometimes that initially sets you back, and, and it is a matter, I think, of coming full full circle. But Dan, I'd love to get your thoughts on that. Can I? Okay, I'm I, you know I'm, I'm I'm working on a new book with with Pavel, and one of the things that uh, this is a conclusion I've come to just read. This is brand new, but it makes sense to me. And it's the role of hypertrophy, and okay, and I think it's it's kind of I call it a drunken sideways s, okay. So you start, when you first start to train, you know, you get into hypertrophy, and it works. And it's a slow, nice, gentle rise up. When you get to a certain level in your training uh, life, the importance of hypertrophy work, if, for example, as a discus thrower or a football player, if you're still working on hypertrophy at age 23 or so, uh, you've missed the boat. It's, you're, it, you, you, can't, you can't keep doing it, okay? You, you need to move on from there, okay? Um, it's and so for a couple of years you need to work on a lot of other issues. Uh, example, you might need to work on well just strategy and tactics. But then the importance of hypertrophy then returns. So as I and now that I'm in yes. my fifties, the importance of hypertrophy gets more and more important every year. A decade from now, I'm going to be sixty-two, whether I want to be or not. Hypertrophy has to be probably the most important part. So if you don't mind on this drunken backwards S curve. It kind of rises in the beginning, then eases off, and then as you get later and later in life, it becomes more and more and more important. And that is a great lesson that I've only discovered this last week or two. You know, very uh, cool. And so I think that uh, I think so. What you can do, and uh, there's, I mean, you might be even able to say that for you know, like joint mobility, you know, and stability and things like that. But I'm beginning to think that you said circle, and I love the notion of it all comes back again. 
But I love this kind of drunken sideways S image a little better. A hill, then a mountain, you know. Because as you go later and later in life, where I'm at right now, hypertrophy is a very important part of my training now. I can't afford to lose any muscle mass. And it happens, man. It shocks the hell out of you. You know, it, you know, I'm strong. The nervous system is there. I can, I can pick a lot of weight up off the ground. But if I don't keep an eye on my, I'm serious, my hypertrophy, my fat loss, basic bodybuilding stuff, stuff I scoffed at in my 20s when I right. could, now I can't anymore. Was that a good answer? Was that a nice? A great answer. Yeah, thank you. I know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Not really. Well, I'm at the Walmart, North Carolina, for God's sakes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I think going to the coaching, you know, our coach is absolutely necessary and whatnot. And I, and are these, all those steps and falls that are taken, uh, I got to say, yeah. And uh, especially in diet, I mean, and you need to try things. And I'm a firm believer, and we learn we learn threefold from, from any failure than we do any success. And if I hadn't fallen down and, and busted my butt, I wouldn't have learned. And uh, that can come true with, you know, you have your coach, and he has learned prior. You know, and they can, they can kind of impart those lessons upon you. And... Uh, and help you along in that route, and uh, in the in the training aspect, I think, you know, if whether it be a coach or just a group of of individuals you're around, um, to learn how to, you know, Dan was saying, and what is it, work harder or learn how to bring it, you know, yeah. to learn how to truly do that, I think you need to be around it, around others that can that that do bring it. Can I give you a nice little thing? I was I was told to this years ago. Is you take what you consider the worst failures of your life, and it breaks your heart to do it. You you make this long list of failures. You know it could be all kinds of things. And, and for example, or bad times, bad times in your life support too. I mean, there's not a lot you can do about a death of a parent or things like that. But athletic failures, well, you think you look the worst, and then write a list of your highlights of your life. What you find on this little thing that most of what you perceive as your worst failures led to your highest points of your life. And it is a such a refreshing thing to do for yourself. Uh, you know, I, if you ever come to my house, I can show you all these trophies and all this stuff. I never learned anything from all those things. It's when I was at, through that discus. And the hard thing about throwing the discus out of the sector is that you have so long to watch your whole career go down the tubes. Because that discus stays up there so long while it's going out of the sector. And fouling, it's so long. It's such a good throw. It seems like instead of 15 seconds, it's 35 seconds. But you're right. Failure, you learn more from failure than mm -hmm. you do from success. For sure. And but, well, but there's a corollary, and it's in somewhere I wrote about. But losers get more out of losing than winners get out of winning. So but that's a whole other topic. Yeah. But I, yeah. So, well, I won't talk about losing. Okay. <laughs> Rob or Lonnie? Um, I think everybody else just seemed to put it put put it forth pretty uh, succinctly. Hello? Hello? Yeah. Hello, I'm. Oh no, no, that's I, I. I can't really add too much more to that. Okay. I should have. Well uh, done. You know, I should have added something in there, like you know, some kind of. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> We've been low on the sound effects, you know. I mean, yeah, yeah. Yeah, those are for dead air, man. You got to kick them in. Okay, sorry. <laughs> <laughs>
Hey, Dan, thanks for spending time with us today, and I hope people take heed and, uh, and, and listen and apply what they've learned, and uh, we'd love to have you on again sometime. Hey, anytime. I, I hope I didn't dominate too much today, but, you, you know, I... I love you know I love this stuff. I love it. It's it's my passion. So uh anytime I can help out, you know I'm here to help you, okay? Okay, Dan, we're going to be calling you again. Thanks so much. That's for sure. Everybody, I'm just going to remind you uh the link to Dan's book is is right on the landing page you're on right now. So if you could, you know, go in there and uh for Dan and the radio show. So I uh, thank you very you much, bet. guys. Thanks, Dan. Thanks so much. Thanks guys. The Bye-bye. Podcast Bye-bye. And all of the audio on interested in starting a diet or exercise program, it's important to check with your physician. Also seek the help of registered dietitians, athletic trainers, and qualified exercise physiologists in order to make the progress there.